the rate the Federal Reserve is printing money, it won't surprise anyone when the dollar eventually crumbles. Well, Max Kaiser is taking a proactive stance on making fiat worthless. Hand him a 20 and see what happens. It's been a couple of years since we first spoke with the co-host of the Kaiser Report, so we thought it was a good time to catch up and get his current thoughts on life, the universe, and everything. Hold on to your fiat if you don't want Max to shred it, but where we're going, you won't need it anyhow. This episode's got it all, including original ukulele serenades. Get in tune and come along for a wild ride with us on episode number 426 of the Bad Ukulele Crypto Podcast. Yes, it's a fun ukulele I got in Bali. It's a Bali kalele. <laughs> a Bali kalele? Yeah. <laughs> well, that actually, uh, we're going to close the loop on that a little later. It'll be a surprise for you. But yeah, like, why the hell are they playing ukulele in uh-huh. this podcast? What the hell? Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, full of surprises. You Stop never your know. shit corner me, Mr. Joel <laughs> You never know what you're going to get here, uh, except that today you're going to get Max Kaiser unplugged, unfurled, and he's got a lot to say. Uh, this is an episode packed with red pills. Like, this is a whole bottle of red pills. This is maybe a red pill suppository. This is not, you don't take these in your mouth. You take them straight up the other place. No, this was a great, great interview. Possibly one of the better ones we've, I think maybe top five interviews we've ever done. Uh, just with the, just a pure amount of just information that he dropped and just opinions and just shattering of illusions. Don't shatter my illusions, Max Kaiser, and tear up my money. Well, a little bit more about that in just a moment, but first of all, more and more of you are writing us to tell us that you are claiming your $50 in free Bitcoin from Bad Crypto because you took the steps to open up an eToro account. If you're a U.S. citizen, it's super easy to do. Go to badco.in forward slash eToro. Follow the easy, easy, simple Super squeezy instructions, and then we're happy to send you $50 in Bitcoin. Uh, Just so you know that when you send us your information that you've signed up with your transaction confirmation, we forward those to eToro so that they can confirm that, yes, you went through this link, and yes, you did do the transaction. So, you know, it could take a couple weeks sometimes for us to get you that $50. Don't write us and go, where's my Bitcoin? But everybody gets their Bitcoin. We send them out weekly. So badco.in forward slash eToro. Take the green pill, eToro. It's not a suppository, though. It's not. Don't be sticking green suppositories up your rectum. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of green suppositories up the rectum, let's get to the interview. It was in San Francisco at Bitcoin 2019. I guess that would have been around May of 2019. Time dates and all that are so difficult right now because I don't remember leaving my house ever. Um, Ran into Max Kaiser and opened my wallet. He grabbed an Andrew Jackson $20 bill from it and proceeded to gleefully tear it up into pieces 
and throw it on the floor. So I'm going to get my $20 worth today as we welcome Mr. Max Kaiser back yeah. to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Welcome, sir. Yeah, it's great, man. That ripped up $20 bill. You can sell it on eBay and make 100 bucks. So I'm adding value. Whatever I touch adds value. That's what it's like being Max Kaiser. I just it's like Pablo know. Picasso, huh? I'm going to exactly. rip up your $20 bill and turn it into $100. It's just, a, you know, it's a collector's item. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it again. You know, send me all of your uh, fiat money and I'll happily rip it up. You'll convert it yep. into- uh, I'll liberate it from the, its value that's there, but has to be liberated by me by ripping it up. It's like the big bang. You see, it's just the value just explodes out. For those who don't know, Max is the host of the Kaiser Report with his cohort, Stacey Herbert, on RT, which is Russia Today. So first question is, how is it to be pawn of Putin? Awesome. You notice that's like one of the only networks that's not getting censored these days. Right. What's up with that? Uh, you know, cancel culture in America because Americans are pussies. They can't handle the truth. Russians are, you know, they don't care. They, they can handle the truth. They don't need to censor. And I'm well, not, they, they I'm drink not so much. It's all the, the alcohol. Although you know, we handle truth, but we drink it. I've been there a few times. And one of my favorite expressions I learned is Russia doesn't start wars. It ends them. Nice. I just taught Joel a great word today. Uh, uh, I, got a, I got a Russian girlfriend taught, 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 taught Joel the word, Pizdits Huinya, which means the shittiest shit. Well, yeah, well, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that would be like a Tron or Ethereum. <laughs> or uh, let's say the US uh, dollar? Is Bitcoin, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision, Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> so does it, are, are you? XRP. Yeah. Does this make you a Bitcoin purist? Are you in the same, you know, camp with, uh, um, you know, the others that are like, Bitcoin's it, everything else is shit? Pretty much, yeah. I would say I'm a purist, really. And, um, you know, the numbers bear that out. The market bears that out. You know, we had that period from 2014 to 2017 where it was this, you know, a lot of different things came around, a lot of different experimentation. But, uh, you know, that's pretty much that period is over. And now Bitcoin is going, it's just running away with it, running away with the market. Well, you know, there's, there. I, I, I would say that, that a lot of that's correct. I mean, we, like 98% of those projects in 2017 are, you know, are dead or nearly dead. And it seems like there's not a lot of stuff being de developed on some of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> but you are actually saying that the Mona Lisa of the 21st century is is Bitcoin. And you were talking about on an article here on, on Cointelegraph that there's a hash rate war with, with Iran that could potentially send Bitcoin to, to, to 500K. What's going on with that? Right. Well, uh, two things, right? So the Mona Lisa is, um, what makes the Mona Lisa fascinating is that it's self-aware and it's observing us and it appears to be channeling some God creator. And this is the same thing with Bitcoin. I think as of starting around block 300,000, I noticed it start, what I perceive to be that Bitcoin becoming self-aware. Uh, I believe that it's observing us due to quantum mechanical properties. You know, that's the, the, the name of my venture capital, Bitcoin venture capital fund is Heisenberg Capital for this very reason, because it, it, it taps into mm -hmm. the quantum mechanical um, aspect of things. And I think it's also channeling God. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is God's way of hacking into our species 
in a, in obtrusively to try to figure out how to fix humans because humans uh, without Bitcoin are going to become extinct probably within a hundred years. This is all neo matrixy stuff. You know, you're talking here. Well, the second thing, the second point that you mentioned <laughs> was the hash war. So the hash war is, you know, people always say, what if uh, governments outlaw Bitcoin? You know, the more likely outcome is that governments enter into hash war. So be, take Iran, for example, or Venezuela. Uh, these countries have been subject of uh, censorship of the dollar. The U.S. dollar has been pol political, politicized. And uh, Iran, for example, they were shut out of the SWIFT system. They couldn't move uh, money around. And there's a lot of sanctions and this type of thing. And so Iran is now approximately 3% of the global hash rate for Bitcoin. They're actively mining Bitcoin at the state level to try to accumulate hard money. And Venezuela now, from what I understand, is roughly 2% of the global hash, hash rate. So they, for the same reason, they want to accumulate hard money because uh, their, their, their economy is in shambles. And uh, as what will happen is it'll be like a Sputnik moment where other America will say, wait a minute, we can't let Iran become the richest country in the world. We can't let Venezuela become the richest country in the world. We need to get into the hash race. And uh, then you'll start. It won't be about governments banning Bitcoin. It'll be about governments competing with each other in a hash war to accumulate as much Bitcoin and hash rate as possible because they want to be part of the hardest money ever created in the history of mankind, et cetera. They want to be Bitcoiners. So that, that I see is the, the bigger uh, outcome, the, the more likely outcome. The longer America waits, uh, the harder it's going to be to be relevant in the 21st century. You know, America is risking complete irrelevancy in the 21st century if it, if it, if it, pro, if it procrastinates and doesn't start actively mining Bitcoin. Couldn't both be true that the government starts mining Bitcoin, but they say, hey, we can do this, but you can't, you know, you peons, you serfs, um, you know, you can use it, but you can't mine it. And uh, we're, we're the boss. Uh, well, it's unconfiscatable and it's uh, in the hands of the hodlers. And there are billions of dollars in the hands of hodlers and some very influential hodlers in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. And so I think that also government, because they're still predominantly funded with fiat money, they are in collapse. Uh, you know, regulators and bureaucrats pay themselves in fiat money. And more and more of those regulators and bureaucrats are going to jump ship and say, we don't want to be part of the sinking ship. We're joining the Bitcoiners. That happens in every revolution, right? It's always about, uh, you know, Rome fell as the soldiers got fed up with the, uh, what they were being paid less and less silver. And then the barbarians came over the gate. So similarly, the U.S. government can try to play both, but it won't win because they're still wed to fiat money. And the Bitcoiners will win the day and we'll have the only hard money left and we'll make the rules according to fits our parameters. I think the nation state, as we know it, is finished. Mm. Don't take the Roman soldier silver. Don't you know stop giving the people their bread and circuses and uh, maybe Rome 2.0 can survive. I, I want to follow up a little bit more on that. So you said Iran has 2 to 3% hash rate, potentially globally, uh, is Venezuela nearly 2%. But what about China? Because China has like the, you know, all of those miners at the most part, it seems like they're in China, at least a vast percentage of that. So isn't China the one that's going to be, you know, the, the, the biggest world power because of all of that hash rate over there? Right, it could be. They have a lot of hash rate with a lot of mining. It's been that case, the way for a few years. Obviously, the Bitmo, uh, Bitmain and uh, Jihan, uh, Wu, 
And uh, but at the state level, they haven't openly declared and mm. come out and said, you know, as a state, we're adding Bitcoin to our reserves along with our gold. Uh, they should do if they want to be relevant. Uh, and the, the center of gravity for global mining is moving away from China right now as Texas becomes huge. You know, Texas is becoming really a mining hotspot. The energy costs are very cheap there. They've got great technology there. Peter Thiel's got a project there. So I think the China concentration in mining will ebb in the next year or two. And this is built into the game theory of the protocol anyway. It tends to move around geographically. No geographic uh, center has mining influence great mining influence for too long. It tends to move around. And that's just part of the game theory that's baked into the protocol. So uh, that, to answer your question, they could be, uh, they should try to be at the moment. They're not officially at the state level yet. Uh, you know, it's hard for China because it's such a centralized country and it's such an autocratic country. It's difficult for them to give, you know, cede any power away. Uh, but, but um you know, if they want to remain relevant, they're going to have to. They don't cede power, but they're really good at taking it. What do you think of what's going on in Hong Kong right now? Well, I've been to Hong Kong and, um, you know, it was pretty obvious that this was going to be the, the, the path of least resistance. So it's not too surprising. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not I don't see why anyone is surprised by this. It is going to be a Hong Kong exodus, just like there's uh, a New York exodus, you know, so with all of the craziness happening here at home, uh, you know, from the coronavirus, the lockdowns, uh, some would say government overreach, protests, rioters, uh, lawlessness, defunding the police. How close are we to Atlas shrugging? <laughs> well, you know, we've been calling this the global insurrection against banker occupation, Giabo. You know, we've been calling we've been calling this since. Wait, what's that? What's Giabo? Global Insurrection Against Banker Occupation. Ah, okay, that's your acronym. I like that. That's the acronym. So it's Italian. I'm a job. Yeah, it's a job. So uh, we um, started, you know, going back to Occupy Wall Street. Then you had the Arab Spring, Black Lives Matter. All of these protest movements are all connected to essentially protesting against central banking. When you when you do it, when you when you figure it all out, because everybody is becoming uh, getting to the point where they understand that. They all, everyone has a common enemy, and that is money printers at the central bank. And now, you know, Black Lives Matter has really picked up on Bitcoin, right? Isaiah Jackson's got a book out called Bitcoin and Black America, and he makes the case that Black America is never going to get justice in America. They're never going to get equality in America. They can, at best, hope for individual sovereignty, and the way to get individual sovereignty is with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, uh, if that message spreads globally, then you have that, those hundreds of millions of disenfranchised people who have been victimized by fiat money printing all starting to buy Bitcoin. That's a huge demand on the demand side. And uh, so that's another bull bull case for Bitcoin. Yeah, it's always been one of those things. So since I learned in the year 2000 about the Federal Reserve System and how the whole thing is set up and they can print $100 bills for six cents and it's not backed by anything, like that's something that most people still don't get. Like the term fiat currency you know, is is a term that most people, you say that to somebody and they go, what? But more people are waking up now than ever, right? With the, with the crypto movement and stuff over those last 12 years. And, and people are starting to understand. That's one reason why I really love this community is that people get it. They know that, hey, the bankers, the globe, but I don't even think they realize that it's the global bankers, right? It's like the system that's in place is set up to, for them to win and for us not to win. 
and and Bitcoin seems to clearly be the path. Crypto seems to clearly be the path to help us gain that. I, I want to ask, you know, how do you clarify that to people when they ask about that? And how do you succinctly just wake somebody up to the whole system? Well, in 2020, you know, Americans will pay $3 trillion in taxes. And in 2020, bankers printed for themselves $6 trillion. Huh. Right? Wow. So, yeah. so far. And that's only halfway through 2020. They're going to print. Mm. They said they're going to print another 7 to $10 trillion. Jeez. So um, the taxes are really superfluous. Uh, taxes are unneeded. You know, the economy doesn't work on taxes. The economy works on money printing. Mm. And that money printing goes into a few hands of what I call the cantillionaires, people who are benefiting from the cantillion effect, which is that all the money printing goes into a few pockets first, and then it just gets stuck there. And you see that in the money velocity chart. If you look at the money velocity chart that tracks how money is moving through the economy, you see that it's getting closer and closer to zero. And it just shows you that no matter how much they print, it's not circulating because it's hoarded by the cantillionaires, the, the folks who are buying paintings for $100 million a piece or you know, a Park Avenue apartments for $250 million a piece. That's where the money goes. So it's not circulating. And um, you know, in Saudi Arabia, for example, when the princes wanted more money, they just pump more oil, right? And then they have princes and you have peasants. That's Saudi Arabia. In America, mm -hmm. very similar. You've got the princes who are printing money for themselves and the, everyone else is a peasant, really. It's America's becoming a peasant, a pleasant, you know, peasant class an unpleasant peasant class it's unpleasant peasant class that's what we that's what we're eviscerating everything in the middle and yeah. prince who was one of the greatest you know rock musicians of all time as long as we're talking princes yeah you know that guitar solo while my guitar gently read uh, oh my gosh yeah for the uh, memorial for um john uh, harris yeah uh, the beatles was phenomenal you know it's been that if you look at that video he's doing that solo uh while my guitar gently weeps and he throws his guitar up in the air at the end, and it never comes down. It's still a mystery. <laughs> it's up there somewhere. It's still a mystery. What, happened? what did he do? Did he make it disappear? I mean, what happened there? It's still a mystery. Nobody knows. I, I caught it. I caught Watch it. Watch that video. At the end, he throws his guitar up in the air, and it, it just disappears. No yeah. one knows what happened. There's a catcher up there. There's, you know, he pitched it. Somebody caught. Uh, are you working on an iPad down there? Am I making a noise? No, no, I'm just curious. Do you have an iPad? Oh, no, I have what's called a, a, a legal pad. Oh, my gosh, paper. Yeah, it's paper. Wow, that is actual paper. That's yeah. phenomenal. Paper, hoping. and this is a, a flare pen, yes. Wow, wow. you actually yeah. know how to write still. I no, I just, I just uh, doodle. There's not actually anything comprehensive. It's do you, do you own an iPad? I own lots of stuff. I know we all get new stuff all the time. Every day, new stuff arrives. On Let me get to the damn punchline already. I'm just hoping if you own an iPad, you know how you can name them. Please tell me yours is named MaxiPad, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it hurts going in, but uh, it doesn't help. <laughs> All right, so let's get to one of your yeah. uh, the the names that you love to rant on. We were yeah. at the uh, the Nexus uh, Earth conference where we first met you and interviewed you for episode number thirty four. Yeah, wow, episode four hundred thirty or something, and uh, you were on stage with your good buddy Peter Schiff. You yeah. know the gold bug, yeah. and you uh, you recently said in an article um, on Coin Telegraph by William Suberg, who by the way writes all the articles about you. He's either you're either him, you know, writing under a pseudonym, or he's your groupie, you know, that's following you around. But you said that hitting 50k Bitcoin will trigger 
Peter Schiff to buy, that uh, Schiff, that Rogers, that Cuban will all go all in on Bitcoin. Right. Well, this is a this is a common phenomenon. You know, that people say that oh, Schiff or Mark Cuban or these people aren't buying Bitcoin. It's just pent up demand for Bitcoin. You know, when they finally figure out what it is, they're going to go all in, huge. You know, and they're going to put big big buy orders in. And Do you think Schiff is going to mea culpa and say I was wrong? He'll be forced to because the market will pretty much force him as a matter of just a question of surviving. He won't have much choice. You know, he'll need to own Bitcoin to survive because uh, as fiat money collapses, everybody will face the same decision. You I mean, it, it's not really a smart move to not own Bitcoin at this point. And nothing he has said in the last 10 years, I've been talking to him about it. Remember, I told him to buy it at a dollar. And ten dollars and a hundred dollars. I've been telling him to buy it now for ten years, and he's always come back with excuses that are really lame, don't make any sense, they don't add up. He's never actually looked at it. He's never. He doesn't understand it. He he's a money manager that's never owned Microsoft, never owned Amazon, never owned Netflix, never owned any of the top twenty stocks of the past fifteen years. Peter Schiff has not owned any of them. He's only owned foreign gold mining stocks in a currency other than the dollar, and though all those positions have done horribly. So as a money manager, he's one of the worst money managers of the past decade, number one. Number two, he's a Luddite, doesn't understand technology, missed the dot. He said, I wasn't in the dot-com bubble. Well, okay, he, he missed Amazon. You know, Amazon is the <laughs> it's a multi-trillion dollar company, right? He missed Apple, you know, he, so what? So what he, he missed, he missed the greatest stocks ever. And uh, so he's missed uh, Bitcoin, which fits his character as somebody who has missed all the great opportunities. But eventually, you know, if you're still in business in five years or whatever, you're going to have to participate just as a matter of survival. Same thing with Mark Cuban. Same thing with every, you know, look at Warren Buffett. He hated Apple Computer for 20 years. Then he finally bought it, you know, recently. Now it's his biggest position. Okay, that's going to be the same thing with Peter Schiff. He'll, he'll mm -hmm. go from not owning any for to it being its biggest position, bigger than his gold position. Yeah, so Warren Buffett, like he was like, he was the kind of the same way. He didn't get into tech stocks at all. Like he was mostly just consumer goods for the most part and missed out on all that big run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he he kind of came late to the party. And well, mostly in the case of Apple, not because he likes the technology, but because they have hundreds of billions of dollars of the cash and they're buying back their own stock. So. It's an easy call to make, really. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, uh, but all these guys are going to capitulate and and move into Bitcoin. So that's a lot of, it's just pent up buying power. Whenever he says, I'm not interested, I'm not buying, I'm just saying, okay, well, you're just, you're adding to that buy later at a higher price. I think 50,000 could trigger him and, and trigger a lot of people who are on the sidelines and saying, well, I, you know, I have, I'm triggered. I have to go in. The FOMO is too great. I'm, I'm, I've got to get in on this thing because it's, it's just it's running away and I got to own it. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I want to ask about shift just real quick on there. So there was a, the big banking family. One of the ones that helped create the federal reserve bank was Jacob Schiff and his family is Adam Schiff and, and Peter Schiff. Are those guys, are those all related? I heard him in a podcast recently ask that question and he said, no, no, not at all. I want to talk about the Cantillion effect you talked about earlier because I don't know that our our audience has a clue on that. I've heard that term, um, you know, Cantillionaire. What is that? What do you mean by all of that when when you when you're when you're talking about that? Right. Well, when the Fed or the Treasury or the government prints money, it's not distributed evenly. It doesn't go to everybody on an equal basis. It goes to the central 
banks first. Like banks on Wall Street will get the money first and then they'll use that money to buy back their own stock. And then the executives have stock options tied to the stock and they'll make 10,000% in a month. Mm. And then they'll go buy uh, a painting for $100 million. And then, so the people who are working at Sotheby's who are cleaning Sotheby's toilets, uh, they might get a, a, a nickel raise for that month. And then the person who bought that painting just made $100 million because they had first use of the money. Because mm-hmm. it goes to, it go, it's distributed through a cer- an inner circle first. They use it to bid up assets quickly. And then um, by the time it reaches downstream to the general public, its purchasing power has been, has been mm. dramatically reduced. And how long has this been in, been in play? Because it seems to me that this system is what has got us in this shithole that we're in now because we have these uber rich that then have all access to all this money who then buy the media companies, who then pay for the politicians, who then sort of trickles down so they got this whole control matrix around us. Yeah, it's been going on for a long time. It's just that it's it's become uh, exacerbated since 2008 because in 2008, the the, the move by the uh, po- po- politicians in Washington was to bail out the creditors and not the debtor- debtors. That was the first time in history that's ever happened mm. where the creditors were bailed out, not the debtors. And so what the creditors did, that the, the banks, for they simply were given a larger credit line to do the exact same bad things, but worse. So here we are 12 years later, and it's the same crisis. It's part two of the same crisis, but 20, 30 times more exaggerated, much worse. And the response is the same to print more money. So the central bank, the Federal Reserve Bank, now owns one third of America's GDP. Mm. Okay. Wow. wow. Japan, cool. Japan owns more than 100% of, the, of Japanese GDP. And so I think that the Federal Reserve will own more than 100% of GDP. So they're going to print and buy assets until the Federal Reserve balance sheet is in excess of $26 trillion from the current uh, $7 trillion. And then what happens? Is that, then, I mean, well, is then, that then, then you have an officially you have a feudalism. Mm-hmm. You have one you have one group of bankers who own all the everything and everyone else is, is a slave, is a peasant. That's feudalism, neo-feudalism. That's the model they like. That's the model they're comfortable with for you know two thousand years before the Enlightenment, before rights of man, before the constitution, before the Bill of Rights, distributed power. We the people, you know, that's a that's a distribution model. It's a distributed political mechanism. But the elites never, the cantillionaires hate that. They would rather be lords. They would rather be feudal lords. And so they now they are returning to the state of affairs that they're comfortable with, of them owning everything, and everyone else is eating dirt. Where, where do you think Trump figures, you know, into all this? What's your opinion on on him? And um, is is he really? Does the whole system hate him? Is he standing against it or is he part of the system? Well, um, in 2016, in America, there was an attempted coup. So that is problematic, right? I mean, he had the CIA and FBI and the, and the opposition political forces engage in illegal activities in an attempt to displace a duly elected president. So that is quite troubling. Uh, this is what America claims is the reason their foreign policy to go into Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, or any other 30 or 40 different countries that U.S. has military bases in is to stop the coups. We want to bring you know, freedom and democracy. And here in 2016 was the most egregious, atrocious coup attempt that we've seen in recent memory. You don't so, really hear about that in the news very much, do you? 
you you um, you well as to, to to your point about the cantillion effect, when you have a lot of money, you can buy a lot of media. Mm-hmm. So MSNBC, the guests that they have on NBC are, are people who are involved in the coup. Mm. Right. So they're not going to give you an honest take. The New York Times has been compromised and demonstrably compromised. The Washington Post demonstrably compromised many, many times in alternative media. you know, you do have journalists like Matt Taibbi and others, Aaron Mate, who are doing great work journalism, but they don't get distribution. Right. They don't get on CNN. They don't get an MSNBC. They have to kind of hunt them out and find them. There is good journalism going on out there. And uh, but so with Trump, getting back to Trump, so he survived that coup. And um, I think his um, really uh, way, you know, he, the fact is that employment numbers were really good up until the COVID-19 crisis hit, right? The, the, the employment numbers were very good. He had record low unemployment in black community, Hispanic community. Um, and I, you know, I think that's people appreciated that. I mean, that's a great, he was doing good work. Um, then COVID hit and now it's just a completely different landscape. Now it's, it's really completely different, radically different. It is. I, I want to get back to the, I, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll, let, we'll, try, uh, we'll let, we'll go back to the Trump here in a second, but I want to talk about the, the media and, you know, in, in 1987, I believe it is Reagan, uh, you know, eliminated the fair, the fairness doctrine, which mean that, you know, that, that all media had to have both sides, you know, they had to, if you're going to talk about this and you had to have other people on to have an appoint, appointing, you know, opposing view. And then also in 2013, they had the Smith Munt modernization act where that, uh, that sort of repealed this thing from 1948 that said that the U S government could not use propaganda on its own citizens. And to me, getting rid of the Fairness Doctrine and that Smith Modernization Act is what has got us into this place with all this fake news. And it's got us into the fact where they can just throw fake narratives at us. And and over half the population in some places just totally buys into that stuff. It's just unbelievable. I think if we get the Fairness Doctrine back where media was held accountable, maybe we wouldn't have so many, so many you know, frenzies and hype and hysteria and outrage every day. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's a great point. And um, what happened is media devolved into hyper-partisanship. So Fox News is hyper-right-wing and, and MSNBC is hyper-left-wing. And um, it's just, and, and there's nothing, there's no actual discourse. So there's no, nobody is really having a balanced uh, discussion about these views. And uh, concurrent with that, with the uh, fairness in media being, doctrine being destroyed, you also have the collapse of public media. So you, there used to be a very thriving public broadcasting media um, where actually, you know, someone like Alex Jones came out of the public broadcasting from the 1980s where, you know, he mm-hmm. was a public broadcaster in Austin, Texas, reporting on the Waco, Texas mm-hmm. uh, uh, disaster. And um, but there was a lot of independent media and the independent media has been destroyed. So you just have huge corporate media and they stage news like professional wrestling. And um so you have a total absence of, of conversation going uh, to debate ideas. And so I totally, I totally agree with you on that. As far as legalizing propaganda, that's also a big problem. You know, on YouTube, when the Kaiser Report shows up, there's a disclaimer at the bottom that says RT is in, fund, is in part funded by the Russian government. Well, um, 
where do they have a similar disclaimer on Voice of America? Because Voice of America is a government, a, a, they state that it's a government mm-hmm. for the government, by the government. Also, the BBC, even though it's funded exactly like RT, they don't have a disclaimer. Just as BBC is publicly funded. Mm-hmm. Or PBS. That, they, they make it look like it's PBS, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's state funded. The BBC is state funded, state controlled. Because I, I worked at the BBC, I know the BBC will. So that, that YouTube is engaging in fraud there by labeling BBC as publicly funded media. That's a fraud. That's a fraudulent claim. And um, so all these subtle things added add up, and you have the public is completely at a, at a loss to understand what is really going on. And and you see that in the public square, people are freaking out. They're 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 really con- a lot of confusion out there. They're flummoxed. They're bamboozled. Yep. Yeah, it's a flim flam. Is it because they, we don't have public discourse anymore? We don't have civil discourse is because one side only hears this and they believe this completely. The other side hears this and believes this completely. So it's like there's no middle road anymore. Yeah, I agree. And I think it has to do with the fact that everything has been commoditized and uh, turned into a tradable asset and on an exchange somewhere. Mm-hmm. So before, up until the 80s, you had institutions in America like the church or the school or the university system or academia where the, the goal was not, it wasn't profit incentivized. You just had people who are very hardworking in their various disciplines and they they were scientists or theologians and and there was a, the value system was uh, diverse. Mm-hmm. But starting in the 80s, really, in the, the beginning of financial derivatives under Reagan and Thatcher and deregulation, you had this transformation of the economy so that every single thing in the economy is tied to a, something, a price, a tradable price somewhere on some exchange. And everything is viewed as, is this bullish or bearish? Will this help my stock or hurt my stock? And so people have become cynical. So the level of cynicism, if it were a stock, is trading at all-time highs. You know, the level of honest discourse, if that were a stock, is trading at all-time lows. And um, so then you have people who make money by trading on cynicism. For example, people will buy shares into Tesla, even though it's a bit of a mirage there, what's going on, because they are deeply cynical about our institutions and about our society. And they think that, well, fuck it. I'm just going to buy Elon Musk because I like the way he smokes pot on Joe Rogan. So I'm going to buy the stock. I got my Robinhood app, so I'm going to buy his stock. And it's at, it's, it's now mm-hmm. worth more than any other car company in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I love Elon Musk. I think, and, and I think he's, a, he, but, but to have the company now worth um, however many hundred billion dollars it's worth now, it's more a function of the, the monetization of cynicism in this culture than it is having anything to do with his ability to make money. So at the very beginning, you, you know, you you said that Bitcoin was it and you threw some big names into the bucket of (laughs) assuming was scam, uh, you know, so, you know, you said Ethereum and I'm like, well, without Ethereum, we don't have smart contracts because we don't have that with, with Bitcoin. So, you don't think there's practical applications for Ethereum and some other blockchains? Well, the the all the scaling on, on Bitcoin now is going to be able to do anything any other coin can do, uh, including smart contracts. It's just taken a long time. Ethereum, in my view, is an exit scam. 
uh, due to all the pre-mining that's gone on and all the perpetual tinkering and changing and the supply is always changing. And, that, you know, if Ethereum 2 is coming along, it's proof of stake, it's not proof of work, and it's garbage, you know, it, and I don't, it hasn't approved itself in any way. And, um, you know, I met Vitalik before he started Ethereum. And we had a conversation in London. He was telling me about Ethereum, you know, and why this is going to be cool and I should check it out. And it was clear to me that he didn't really understand Bitcoin. So I was, I'm like, okay, well, have fun with whatever this the project is, but you clearly don't understand Bitcoin. He, he, never, he never sees having absolute scarcity as being an attribute of Bitcoin that's worthwhile. Whenever he, you know, he said that many, many times, like, oh, scarcity doesn't mean anything, right? Uh, store of value doesn't mean anything. Uh, he came up with this slanderous term, Bitcoin maximalist, or what he thought was a slanderous term or, a, you know, uh, something that would be mean-spirited in some way. So he, he not only does his project suck, but he's just throwing rocks at Bitcoin for no reason. But the market's saying, look, this, you know, the market for Bitcoin is just running away with, they've got, it's 65% of market capitalization. But if you strip out all the zombie coins and everything else, it's closer to 90%. It's got 85% of all hash power of the entire market, all 5,000 coins, 85% of the hash power is, is Bitcoin. The volume, 90% Bitcoin. And those numbers are all going up and they're all going to be 99% across the board. So I'm just saying this thing, I, I know the altcoin market, you know, and I know 2014 to 2017, it was like this very, you know, crazy stuff was going on, but it's over. The, the hash war, the uh, block size wars are over of 2017. You know, Bitcoin Cash lost. Uh, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision is, is, you know, 90% of the volume of Bitcoin Satoshi Vision is one guy wash trading over there in Australia. It's a complete mirage. It's like you're trading a phantom. It's, it, it's a total scam. But why does there have to be just one? Why can't there be other? Uh, I'm not saying there has to be only one. I'm saying the market is telling us that it's only one. The market. I I am a I've been a stockbroker. I've been a Wall Street guy for 35 years. You know, I I know how to read a market. The market tells us stuff, and mm. what the market's telling us now is that it's all all the marbles are flowing into Bitcoin. That's what it looks like to me, and that's why I I do what I do and I say what I say. I put my marbles in Bitcoin, but I lost them a long time ago, so I don't know where they are. <laughs> lost his marbles. What about what about you know countries creating their own digital currencies like the digital yuan? And you know, I know there's some rumblings about some other countries beginning to create their own digital currency. And that's one of the things that kind of scares me is like when the IMF or the World Bank starts coming out with theirs and 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 then the, this move away from from actual paper money and stuff. What? How do you foresee this thing sort of playing out? dead on arrival because by definition it'll be centralized and no centralized coin can compete with bitcoin what will happen is what we just saw in venezuela venezuela a couple of years ago they came out with the petro which yeah. is going to be their state coin mm -hmm. and then after a couple of years they said you know what this is stupid we should just grab as much bitcoin as we possibly can and that's what they're doing now okay so i think all these country coins it's a stepping stone and similar they'll be like you know it's this is a centralized coin it's just fiat money like Ethereum, you know, Vitalik reinvented fiat money, essentially. And so will all these country coins. It's just like, wait, this is just fiat money again. It's centralized. It's nonsense. And they just, it's, but it's a stepping stone to get yeah. to Bitcoin. Uh, so that, that's what I see happening there. The IMF, the same thing. What about, so you say that these countries are going to start mining more Bitcoin. Like, why the hell would the FBI auction off their Bitcoin? Why wouldn't they just hold it? 
Like why? Why would the U.S. government? Well, like, I, 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 as a U.S. taxpayer, I would. I'm. I'm deeply concerned about this. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense, is what you're saying. Yeah. I. I don't know why. Why are they giving away the most valuable asset? I mean, it's like they've got the Hope Diamond and uh, the the Crown Jewels and uh, the world's you know supply, and, and they give it away. Why are they doing that? Why? Why are you doing that, you stupid people? Yeah, like, it makes no sense to me. Doesn't make any well, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. So earlier I referenced, you know, the unrest and the protests, and you also said uh, earlier um, in an interview that the protests don't do anything. The real protest is to buy Bitcoin. Um, certainly, that you know, people out there that are uh, protesting peacefully maybe making some sort of difference, right? Whether it ends up, you know, good policy or bad policy, it's definitely changing the conversation here in uh, in our country. No, I disagree. Look, I am a boomer. I'm white. I come from Wall Street. And I'm, and I'm um, you know, and I can tell you, after 40 years of watching civil rights in America and working on Wall Street and being a privileged white guy from... New York, that none of that amounts to shit. You know, we, I remember in one of those marches from a couple of years ago, the people on Wall Street were up in their windows throwing money out the windows, right? They're like, fuck you, we got the money, we don't give a shit. That was during Occupy Wall Street, right? The Wall Street people down on Wall Street were throwing money out the window, you know, saying, go away, you fucking peasants. And my point is that that it to the only goal that's possible here is individual sovereignty is to opt out of the system. You know, if you're not addressing the fiat money problems, fiat money, it's never, nothing's going to happen. And uh, this is why black lives matter. And this book, Bitcoin and black America, Isaiah Jackson's book has suddenly become a huge seller on Amazon because we've got the, this community is saying, you know what? That's absolutely right. We want an unconfiscatable store of value that the black community, the biggest problem is that their wealth is constantly getting stolen by whitey. You know, this is a problem throughout black American history. Uh, we saw in 2008 when all the, uh, the, the, the bailout of the creditors who made fraudulent loans to black community in New Orleans and other places, uh, and the people who worked hard and had houses and had wealth built up, they, all their wealth got stolen. And who's the biggest landlord in America now? Oh, it's Warren Buffett. Yeah, because the government decided to give him all that property for the money that he printed and they printed. It's just a transfer of wealth. It was the biggest transfer of wealth from black America to white America in 2008 since slave days. Mm. You know, so I'm curious. So it seems like a lot of these movements, they get started out with great intentions and then they kind of get usurped by these sort of globalist and their open society initiatives and they're this and that and they're funding this. And then, you know, I, I, I followed the money trail on the Black Lives Matter thing and that actually goes to Act Blue and, and that which is a, a Democrat a national committee organization. And so the funds are going there. It's not going to Black Lives Matter thing. So how much of these are being usurped and actually they're, you know, they're being used as pawns for the globalist agenda to move us towards this one world thing that it seems to be been looming for for a while 100 percent, just like everything else mm. everything is being totally controlled by the contillionaires it, like if you can print so far they've printed globally something like 30 trillion dollars if you can print 30 trillion dollars this year yeah globally all the central <laughs> banks, all wow. the central banks uh, the five biggest central banks 
not just the U.S. They're all printing together. They go to Davos and they like they have a like a, a, a you know a three by five card and they go okay you're good for seven trillion you're good for ten trillion right they've already done thirty trillion in twenty twenty so if you if you can just print thirty trillion dollars uh, with no accountability no oversight no reporting to any regulatory authority at all and you can use that to buy islands you know buy countries buy politicians buy you know, yeah. buy Apple stock. And while it's buying its own stock, it's such a scam. You know, Apple is just buying its own stock with the money that they print, essentially. So the stock goes up because they're shrinking the float and the earnings to go down, but not compared to the less of the number of shares outstanding because they retired the shares. So they're just getting, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a huge, huge Ponzi scheme. It's Bernie Madoff should really be the new George Washington. You know, he is really the American... All icon. Bernie Madoff is America's soul. He, 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 he's not, it's no longer P.T. Barnum. It's yeah. no longer the soul of America. It's, it's Bernie Madoff. You know, he really, he really set the stage for the, the American, you know, collapse. He's the patron saint of Ponzi. He is the patron saint. And everyone follows Bernie's, Bernie's path. Every, everyone is a, is a disciple of Bernie Madoff. Yeah, they're elevating people like that. I mean, they do that same thing with Jordan Belfort, right? The dude scammed all these people, the Wolf of Wall Street, and yeah. now, like he's got this huge following on Twitter and people want to hear what he has to say. I'm like, why do you want to hear what this dude has to say? The guy who stole all this money from people and did the white collar crime time, which was not really a whole lot. I, I don't get yeah. the obsession. Well, you know, the antihero is, is a big archetype in American culture. So, you know, it goes back to... Uh, of the, the 1970s in particular, when the studio system collapsed and you had the rise of alternative Hollywood and people like Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino uh, rose as antiheroes uh, and movies like Dog Day Afternoon or the mafia movies, the Godfather movies, you're celebrating criminality and crime and American love crime and they love mafia and they and there's a huge industry dedicated to crime and lionizing and mafia and gangster rap is like celebrating certain gangster lifestyle and you know fashion celebrates gangsters and we love gangsters you know america loves their gangsters so the, jordan is a gangster and so they 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 put him up there as somebody that they can they can sell ads against because america loves gangsters and um but yeah they he he is dead wrong about bitcoin he's another guy who was dead wrong about bitcoin by the way and um yeah there you go. there's like a hall of fame of people who were dead wrong do you do you keep track of that is yeah i do i do where's my right there uh, on his legal pad yeah, yeah i have it on a slip of paper somewhere but yeah. nuria rubini uh, uh paul krugman um Mark Cuban, Peter Schiff, uh, Joseph Stiglitz, um, Joe Wiesenthal. I tried to get him to buy Bitcoin at a dollar. He laughed at it. Josh Brown for the reform broker. Tried to get him to buy Bitcoin under $10. He laughed at it. Uh, McDavid Williams, who's a big economist in Ireland. Uh, talked to him about it. He never got it, never bothered to get it. So I've got a huge list. you know. I, and uh, John Ajarian. Uh, who since has done a mea culpa and said, you know what, you were right, I was wrong, and now he's into Bitcoin. Um, Safedean Amus, uh, who wrote the book, The Bitcoin Standard, when I first told him about it, he rejected it and said he would, it's junk. Then he became a convert and said, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to write this book, and I understand it, and it's, the gra it's great, it's gold 2.0, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Everyone is going to capitulate eventually. 
who brought Bitcoin to you? Who who showed you Bitcoin for the first time? John Matonis. So John Matonis came on my show in 2011, and he had invented something called Hush Mail, which was an anonymous mailing product mm -hmm. using encryption. <clears throat> so um, Stacy found him actually, Very and, nice. and said, you know, this sounds like what you were doing back in Los Angeles with the Hollywood Stock Exchange. So we had him on the show in 2011, and he uh, and Bitcoin was a dollar or two dollars, and that's that's when that's when it started. So and I did recognize it as being something similar to what I was doing in Hollywood in 1996. I, I have a I have an invention on um, virtual currency, so I kind of invented. I have an invention on a, a patent on digital scarcity. So I have the first digital scarcity patent. Um, five nine five zero one seven six is the patent number. And um, it was eventually sold to uh, Cantor Fitzgerald in 2001. But it's not distributed digital scarcity, right? It's digital mm. scarcity, but it's through um, algorithm, centralized algorithmic control. So when I saw Bitcoin for the first time, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this is, you know, decentralized digital scarcity. How did they do that? Ah. Right. And I'm like, oh, OK, wow, this is incredible. This solves all these problems that were people thought were impossible. So I figured this was going to take off. That's beautiful. I want to ask you one final question because we're, we're coming up close to the hour. So here we are. We're in 2020. Like, what does 2030 look like? I mean, you know, the, right now we're going through this cancel culture, revolution, statues are coming down, the world is burning. Like, it, it, you know, it, how do, what kind of optimism should we have for, for the next 10 years? I think at the moment, the path of least resistance in America would be start to look more like Maoist China. So, so we go through this cultural revolution, you know, in, Mao, in, in the cultural revolution of Mao, Chairman Mao, um, all of the decadent statues and life was decimated. Everyone wore the same jacket, carried the red book. I think that's where America's heading. I think in the next two or three years, particularly after this next election, because it's going to be so chaotic. I, I think this, you can have Joe Biden won't make it because he's not well. Right. And then they, at the convention, they're going to helicopter in some other person at the last minute. It could be even be Hillary, but who knows? I don't know. But they helicopter somebody in. That causes enormous uh, up, uh, you know, uh, social unrest. Uh, Trump is still contentious. And you have a real breakdown and, uh, you know, and on a state level, right? Cops are walking off the job, you know, because mm -hmm. they're getting so much abuse. So there's going to be a lot of chaos and this opens the door to some kind of authoritarianism yeah. and a cultural revolutionary backlash where you won't, you'll just be, you'll be very, you'll be what I call the model. I call it is the casino gulag. And what I mean by that is you don't have a job essentially and you're trapped in your home that's the gulag but you're online playing games and clicking on ads trying to make a buck to to get a protein pill right it's subsistence clicking right you're clicking to just get enough today to get a pill to survive another day and that's the casino gulag playing games online to survive i see this as a real outcome particularly in the as an aftermath of the next six to nine months political upheaval and the failed coup of 2016 tells me that forces inside the u.s government are not shy about attempting another coup 
I think they will try to another coup in 20. This seems like a soft coup, you know, like right. with this coronavirus thing, which, you know, my sister is a doctor of microbiology and virology, and this thing does not pass the sniff test for her. And, and so going through all that, it's like, wow, well, here we go. We have this coronavirus that we can't see, but we're told that it's so horrible. And now we got to stay in our homes. And now the economy crashes and that hurts Trump. And now we have all these riots and all this upheaval, which which looks like it hurts Trump. And it's just like, it just seems like it's just like they're just playing pieces off the chessboard and moving them around and watching how it all falls down. Well, it seems that the the system was got to be incredibly fragile because of all the bad mistakes that have been accumulating over decades mm -hmm. the, and on the economy and on the, the way it works. It's incredible. There's too much debt. It's incredibly fragile. So when in capitalism, if a company makes a mistake, they're supposed to go out of business. They're not supposed to be gotten a perpetual bailout right now in America, 20% of the companies in America do not make enough money to pay the interest on their debt. That's 20% of American companies are zombie companies. They're the walking dead. And that number is going up. And it took 30 years to get there. And that's that fragility in the corporate America is what's going to kill us in the end. You know, you can debate COVID this, COVID that, coup here, coup there. All of these things are not separately, they're bad. Mm -hmm. But the only reason that collectively they could be spell the end for the United States as a sovereign country is because it was so fragile when these things hit economically. So the dollar goes into a hyperinflationary collapse and, and then it's going to be post empire, every man for themselves, basically. Where do you go? I mean, there, if America is not America that we've known and loved, right, through our lives. And by the way, you're uh, you're 60 and look great for, for 60. I had to look up because you said Thank you. you're a boomer. <laughs> I'm a last year boomer. I was born in 64. So I'm like, am I really a boomer? I don't know. But where in the world do you go if it's no longer safe in, in, you know, in America or at least in the, the urban areas? That's a good question. I think that's a question where everyone's asking themselves. I, I don't really know what the answer is there. Um, there is obviously places that are probably not good to go. The, 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 the heavy concentration of city and things like this are, you know, New York is, I remember when I lived in New York in the 1970s, it had an incredibly high uh, murder rate or 3000 plus a year and garbage everywhere. The police, you know, um, the, uh, New York city went bankrupt if you recall, and uh, the feds cut off all funding. And there's a famous New York Post headline that says feds to New York drop dead. And that was in the 70s. And then what happened is that the municipal leaders in New York City decided that they were so desperate, they, they essentially turned over the running of the city over to Wall Street, in particular, Felix Rohayton of Lazard Frere. He created what's called the Municipal Assistance Corporation bond or Mac bond. And so this was the beginning of abdicating your role as a public public servant and to just farm everything out to the financiers. That that was a huge step in that direction. Who was the t number one beneficiary of this? None other than Donald Trump. Donald Trump at that point, you know, his dad, Fred Trump, was huge in, a developer in Queens. Mm -hmm. And New York City was always a very tight market. It's like a very tight, tight group of people who developed New York City, Manhattan. 
and it was tough to kind of break in, even though they were usually like the five families or something was right. Very, 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 very difficult. So when New York went went bankrupt and the municipal, uh, and then Mac bonds became and everything changed, uh, you know, Trump, Donald Trump, you know, stepped forward and said, you know, lend me money and I'll take this Hyatt Regency hotel near Grand Central Station that was dilapidated at the time and I will develop it. And uh, that he then started to build his empire based out of the collapse of New York. Mac bonds, huh? Interesting. Well, that that was what was going on at that time. So um, that gave birth to, and it gave birth to the Wall Street player, you know, that who who is really hugely influential. Then in 1987, you know, I was a stockbroker in 1987, so I was there when the market crashed in 1987. And uh, it was the day after the crash, the markets were set to open up down another 25%, which would have meant every bank and insurance company in America declare bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So what what the solution was that Ronald Reagan, uh, Alan Greenspan was running the Fed at that time, Robert Rubin was at Treasury. Those three got together and they created the the President's Working Group on Finance, which later became known as the Plunge Protection Team. They started to buy S&P futures in the open market on the Tuesday of the, of the, of after Black Monday. And that was the beginning of the Fed buying stocks on its own account to support the market. So price discovery on the, the exchange at that moment ceased to be uh, supply and demand driven by the market. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you, you'd be, then the Feds became owners. Now flash forward to 2020, and who's the biggest buyer of stocks right now in America? It's the Fed. So it all started on 1997, and that that has metastasized to become this monster where they now are buying everything, every stock, every bond. They're going to buy 100% of everything. They're going to take. They're taking all everything private. You know, the mm-hmm. lever, all those leveraged buyouts of the 1980s, where like Carl Icahn and Ron Perlman and and all these corporate raiders, they did leveraged buyouts and they took all these companies private, and they, that was the beginning of private equity industry. That in 2020, the Fed is the biggest private equity buyer using leverage buyout of the money that they print for themselves in the world. And they are essentially reducing the economy to to peasants and princes. And they're doing it with the help of uh, politicians. And I think, you know, Trump is somebody who is, is aware of it and, but he's got to deal with the coup. I mean, there's an actual coup going on, right? So they really, they, they don't like the fact that he's maybe getting in the way of their plan to take it all private. Mm. Sounds like we're, we're heading to this global uh, authoritarian dystopia sort of serfdom powered by socialism or something. If they take 100% of everything and we're just fighting over the scraps down here, then we're all going to be at their mercy to all kinds of shit. Right. The only the only solution, in my view, is Bitcoin. If you have wealth in Bitcoin, it's unconfiscatable. It's wealth. It's a store of value. And if enough of us have enough wealth in Bitcoin, we have the ability to say no to this global dystopian nightmare, to say no to the new American Maoist cultural revolutionaries that are out in the streets burning everything down. Bitcoin's only Bitcoin's the only way out. 
Speaking of uh, revolutionaries, I'm not exactly sure when this interview is airing, but it's timestamped July 1st, 2020 right now. And the news is that after um, two deadly shootings and crime rising by 500% in the last three weeks, the Seattle mayor has finally cracked down on the CHOP zone and police have moved in. They've arrested 23 people and they're telling people to vacate. So that is an experiment that we knew would end badly. And, and it has. Are we going to see more of this or is this going to be an example? And they're like, all right, mayors, we can't allow this type of, uh, you know, stuff to happen in our cities. Well, it's martial law, you know, because all that hardware we sent to Iraq and Afghanistan to fight that's whatever we're doing over there, making defense contractors rich, I guess. Yeah. I'll come back. So now all of our local police departments are riding around in half a million dollar tanks wearing $200,000 worth of tactical gear. They totally militarized local police all around. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. So now that, you know, once you militarize your local police and you give them an unlimited budget and, and, and um, you're going to, it's martial law basically become. And so, you know, it's, the trend is horrible. It's, it's, it's terrible. This is why everyone on the street protesting. I, I don't, I don't think that they, they are, um, you know, having the impact, there will have any impact versus simply doing the passive resistance of, of hodling Bitcoin and, and to defund fiat money. Don't defund the police, defund fiat money. Fiat money is the enemy, not the police. Mm, that's a shirt right there, Max Kaiser. You need to get that on there. Defund fiat. <laughs> well, there's only one thing that this interview has missed, Max, and I don't know if it's because Stacy's doubled down on your medication today, but I've yet to hear you turn loose and 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 truly rant. So why don't you give us a closing message <laughs> to those out there that, you know, they might be losing faith right now in the system. They're just waking up. They're just taking the red pill. Shake them, Max. Shake them. No, I, I, I'm very chilled out. You know, I'm just, I don't, I, I'm. Uh, He's I like, I bought Bitcoin uh, at a dollar. What? I don't care. Yeah, I, 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 got my, I got my yoga pants on, but you don't have any video, do you? Hold on. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. We can see that. Um, uh, the rest of the world just needs to use their imagination. Yeah. Uh, of course, you can tune in to Max's show on RT. I'll do, uh, do a bad song. This is my, oh, uh-oh, my, my head. What's going on here? You're falling apart, Max. There we go. You're losing all your stuff. There it is. Okay, here's uh, here's here's my. I was inspired by Warren Buffett's ukulele playing. Okay, go for it. Oh, nice. I'm Warren Buffett. I am a crook. I steal your money. I am a schnook. I'm Warren Buffett. I steal your cash. I am Buffett. And that's the end of the song. Thanks, me. I got a fucking request. So here's here's Plucky. Yeah, Plucky. Here's the world's most accomplished economist, Plucky. Say hello, Plucky. Oh, uh, hi. It's great to see you guys again. Hi, Max. Yeah. What what do you want? (laughs) Well, Plucky, you know, these are some famous podcasters here, and they they, we just had an interview. Yeah, right, Max. The same old shit. I've heard it a million times. When are you going to come up with some new shit? Now, Plucky, try to behave. It's not nice. You're being rude. I don't care. You didn't eat anything for lunch today. I'm starving over here. I don't, I'm not a peasant. I'm not one of your fiat container presents. Okay, Plucky, that's great. Great to hear from you. Yeah, take go back, take oh a nap. Take a nap. <laughs> Captain Crypto. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Kaiser, where would you like people to locate you for more of your shenanigans and, and really great insights? My great insights? 
Yeah, we're, we're... You can reach me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, oh, today. Well, of, course, today. <laughs> of course, I'm at my Twitter, Max Kaiser. Also, I'm now working with Swan Bitcoin. It's, uh, it's swanbitcoin.com forward slash Kaiser. You know, it's the easiest way to on-ramp to Bitcoin. Dollar cost averaging. Everything is great at Swan Bitcoin. Check out Swan Bitcoin. So did we just acquire a new sponsor for the show? Like You could do. You know, oh. you know all you guys, you just got to. Here's a song. Hey, Joel. Stop all the shit coinery. <laughs> it's going nowhere. And people are going bankrupt. So, Max, you Every start. Bitcoin will ever do any good. That goes for all the listeners of the bad podcast. <laughs> okay, so, Max, you know, we're building a set of collectible digital trading cards. There might on be a- wax? On wax? On with wax? William Shatner? I'm yeah. William Shatner. Beat me up. I'm on wax. I'm on wax. It's a collectible and it's great. It's digital scarcity. It's fungible. I'm William Shatner. Leonard Nimoy is dead. Buy my wax. Buy my wax. How about that as an ad? I want to know what the album is going to be available. Max Kaiser's yeah. greatest. You can be like, really? remember Zam Fear and his magic pan flute? Oh, yeah, that's Max. awesome. I have every single one of his records. You could be Max and his magic ukulele. Hell yeah, man. You know, so it's all good. You know, me and Plucky doing duets for six hours on a, you know, an MP3 file, I think is the way if you, to solve any insomnia out there. Sell it, sell it for Bitcoin. Here's like Pete Townsend. <laughs> Are you going to smash it? That was, the, that was everybody's heads after hearing Max Kaiser there. Oh, I thought maybe you just said gas. That was not no gas. Oh. Sounds different, Mr. Joe Com. You should know that you are the inventor of the iFart app. Does not sound anything like a fart. It could be like a. Okay. Yeah. Like, like a nu- nuclear fart in your pants. That sounds yeah, good. You know. But then how hilarious was he at the end of that thing? <laughs> He's great. He got, I... got the plucky the duck, and then he busts out his Travis er, Joel and his friend. Yeah, I think you forgot your name for a moment. Joel and his friend. Like, it's, it's Travis. I mean, it's not like you're forgettable. You're just not. Right. Well, I think I think I also had TW on my name and said Travis, so he maybe didn't know at the, at the, at the drop of the hat. Yeah. So I, I believe we're going to be on um, on uh, the Kaiser Report sometime soon. We're I'm, I'm in conversations with uh, Stacey Herbert his co-host to schedule something but uh, she's like uh, she messaged me and she's like would it be you that do the interview and i said well myself and travis were joined at the hip uh, it's a little awkward but i told her we're 1.24643 percent funnier together and she says do you share a camera how's that look send me a screenshot i'm like no we're remote i'm here he's there so you know let's figure out the technology and and make this thing happen so when that does happen we will let you guys know that um that we're going to go on max's show and tear up all his fiat mm. i don't know i just really that that ukulele song is just stop your shit coin me <laughs> that is just so funny man i was laughing so hard. i was laughing like after the, the rest of that day i just kept chuckling he just, may never be a bad coin maximalist i don't know i don't i don't think so i don't think he likes any other coin except the bitcoin that he started collecting at one dollar <laughs>
Well, he might not, but we're a fan of some other projects, including Divi, our sponsor for the show. They're taking early signups for their new digital finance ecosystem that's going to offer crypto debit cards, instant bank accounts, and fiat to crypto on and off ramps right in your wallet. So if you want to be the first in line to get your hands on these services, go over to wallet.diviproject.org, enter your email. It's that easy. And Mr. Travis Wright, why don't you take us out? Divi <laughs> Etoro Shitcoinery <laughs> Travis and Joel <laughs> You know, usually this is where I would say some other things, but all I can think of right now is stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, this is Max Kaiser. Tiptoe through the bad podcast with Joel and his friend. It's really good. With Max on the show and Plucky. Tune in, tune in. Tune in. Yeah!